We're Phil and Cheryl, and we're from Los Angeles, and we're visiting our Rikshava, and we love our Rikshava. We listen and hope you always listen to our Rikshava can be found at IsraelNationalRadio.com. Find us there. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the Noahide Nations. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and you're here on the Noahide Nation show, and guess what? We are glad that you are. We do have kind of an exciting show, at least it's exciting for me, because it's a, a subject that I haven't really studied out as much as I probably need to, but there again, Torah is such a, a journey that there is no destination. It's a, an ongoing journey, and you can just learn and learn and learn and learn. But this is one of the areas that I haven't really touched upon. And we have a special guest host with us this week uh, by the name of Jacob Scharf. And he is... He's very, very intelligent. <laughs> he's he's uh, really an unbelievable Torah guy. And we're going to be able to talk with him about an unbelievably good subject today. I, I, I mean, I can't believe that it came up, but I'm so glad that it came up. And my friends, I think you're going to be glad too because it's going to be on prophecy. And he's going to help us understand, and I presume from a, a Rambam standpoint, I may be wrong, but you know, we'll bring him in here and he can share that with us. But uh, I think this is very exciting. We're going to learn about prophets and you know what is prophecy and uh, probably questions that uh, you and I have, have all had but uh, never thought to ask him. So I'm kind of the student today, and hopefully as the show goes on, I'll be able to ask some of those questions that you would be asking. So let's go ahead and bring in our special guest. And uh, again, his name is Jacob Sharp. Jacob, come on in here. How you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show today, Ray. Hey, I think it's it's totally great that you're here, and and I appreciate the time that you're taking here out of, out of your busy day and you know sharing your wisdom and knowledge uh, with us uh, we can certainly use all of that that we can handle <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well know. it's good to share what you what little you may have <laughs> well good and and just you know so that everyone is uh, who hasn't been with us before or maybe forgot uh, uh, my regular co-host is not with us right now and has taken a temporary leave uh, Prescott Johnson because of some personal issues and hopefully he'll be back with us but in the meantime we've had Doug Taylor and he's had some phenomenal uh, uh, topics that we talked about and uh, Jacob's going to kind of step in here and he's going to be with us for a couple three weeks you know whatever works out to be, and we're going to be talking about prophecy. So, uh, Jacob, I'm going to kind of let you, you know, take things over from here uh, with probably the biggest question that, that I would have would be, what is prophecy? Oh, and let me ask you this first. Is this going to be from the Rambam's perspective, because you're a Rambam kind of guy, or is this uh, from other sources as well? Well, this information comes from, uh, comes from the entire oral tradition. Um, oh, some of it is as as it's recorded in the Mishnah Torah. Okay. Um, the Rambam in there discusses in great detail, uh, you know, what is a prophet, who can be a prophet, and how prophecy works. Um, there's many other sources as well, though, such as uh, uh, Morin Nevochim, which is uh, the guide for the perplexed. 
right, by the okay. Rambam. He goes into even more detail there as to like how prophecy works. Right. And of course, the, throughout the oral tradition, it talks about prophecy and and uh, you know if you go and read the Torah and you read the Tanakh, there are many descriptions of how you know what the prophets did and how it worked and what you know what prophecies they brought forth and how God communicates with man. So. Um, this comes from all over. Okay. Well, this ought to be mighty interesting then. I, I can't hardly wait to, to jump in here. So if I cut you off to ask some questions, please forgive me because I'm, I'm sure I might have a few. No, uh, please so, do. That's, so, that's what this is about. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get started with uh, the question that I asked before, and that is pretty much what is prophecy? How, how, do, how do we define prophecy? Well, from a from a classical perspective, the the, the idea of prophecy is basically, um, or I guess the definition of prophecy is God communicating with man or with humanity, um, and it's one of the one of the basic foundations of of the Torah faith that that God communicates directly with humanity. God uh, didn't create us and then just drop us here and and say, "Well, have at it, do whatever you want, have fun." Even though some days it may seem that way. Yeah, it may seem that way some days, it's true. But no, no, he put us here and he has a specific purpose that he wants us to fulfill on this earth. Right. And uh, he he communicates that to us. He communicated that to Adam originally. Like, take for example, okay, so Adam was created, Adam was created in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam is placed in the Garden of Eden, what's the first thing that happens? The very first thing that occurs is that God speaks with them. He says, oh. Of every tree of the garden you may eat. It says, And God spoke to Adam, saying... So this is the very first instance we see of prophecy. Okay, so, so, you're, so you're saying, you're saying, Jacob, that that is prophecy rather than a, um, a, a, a commandment, a, a mandate, or would it be both? Would it be considered well, both? Well, it is a commandment. It was a commandment given through prophecy. Okay, okay, Because excellent. essentially any time God communicates with a human being, that is the definition of prophecy. Oh, really? Okay, I was right. unaware of that fact. That is indeed true. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, from the very first moment of, of us being here on earth, God began communicating with us. And he has, he communicates with the human race continuously throughout the ages. Um, some of these prophecies obviously being more noteworthy than others. For example, the uh, revelation at Mount Sinai, um, when God communicates with Noah. These are all like very, very uh, um, important prophecies that we have. So. Okay. Now, does this also work the same way as, say, uh, Ezekiel when he saw the uh, the, the temple, uh, uh, Jacob's ladder, um, where these were actually like visions as opposed to just hearing? Uh, tell 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 us a little bit about that. Exactly. Yes, these are all um, examples of prophecy. And, and we learn from the oral tradition that there are actually many different levels of prophecy, if you will. Um, everything from someone simply having an, in, an intuitive insight into something that God communicates to them, all the way up to, I guess, the highest rung, which would be um, Moshe directly speaking to God, and God speaking directly to, to Moshe, to Moses, while he's awake. Um, and in between there, you have things such as 
um, a prophet will go into a trance and receive a vision, or a prophet will be sleeping and receive a dream, things such as that. And there are there are many different, as they call them, levels of prophecy. Well, I think the, the levels. The I think the levels are are going to be interesting. Uh, you want to go into a little more detail about the levels? Well, um, why don't we get to that a little later? Okay, um. you're taking the wind out of my, don't want, you're taking the wind out of my sails, but I'm taking it out of yours. So <laughs> we'll I'm get to sorry. that, but I think it's important okay. to discuss um, maybe some of the misconceptions about who is a prophet, or actually, let's let's step back. So let's talk about why does God actually communicate with us? Why is this necessary? Again, as I said before, it's it's basically because. Look, God essentially put us here for a purpose, and he wants us to achieve a certain goal or certain goals. And so, and this is for humanity as a whole that I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. Although we each do have our own individual purposes as well, but right. he placed humanity here for a purpose that he wants us to achieve. And he's not leaving us in the, in the dark about what this purpose is or how we should go about achieving it. And okay. so he has communicated to us exactly what we need to do to accomplish our purpose. Okay, uh, kind of a, a odd question here, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the a prophet, uh, you know, say Isaiah or you know Ezekiel. Uh, normally, we're reading in the Tanakh uh, or the Nakh that they're giving a prophecy usually to a, a number of people simultaneously, or sometimes it is uh, to an individual, such as a king. Uh, I'm wondering, though, as far as this, you know, we call it our destiny, what what he has in mind for us as, as individuals, would that be in the form of, of prayer, would you say? Uh, because I know that we're supposed to always search for him. I mean, seek, seek Hashem. And in that seeking, we not only study Torah, but we also pray. And in that praying, are those responses then considered prophecy for, for us? Potentially. that's uh, The way prophecy works, generally, is that... Um, well, there's a number of different ways it can work. But, but praying can actually help us to connect with God so that we can um, become more aware of, of His will for us, definitely. Oh, okay. Which is a... Uh, um, among the lower levels of, of what's referred to as prophecy, if you read in uh, The Guide for the Perplexed, where Rambam describes that. Okay. But it is sort of one of the first rungs. But another thing to point out, too, is that when people talk about prophecy, they usually think of things such as, like you said, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, prophecies about what's going to happen in the future. That's usually pretty much all that they think about when they think of prophecy. However, there's more to it than that, because... Actually, if you look at it, the Torah itself, the entire Torah, is a prophecy that was received by Moses. Mm-hmm. So Moses goes up on Har Sinai, and God reveals to him the entire Torah. Therefore, the Torah itself is a prophetic revelation, which right. is interesting to point out. Most people don't think of it that way. No. Uh, no. In fact, yeah. uh, you tend to look at Torah, and a lot of this comes from our backgrounds, from you know, where we came from, uh, that, the, that the Torah in particular, it's, it's the law. It's, it's a burden. Uh, it's you know, all of those kinds of things where you don't really, the mind won't take you to it being prophecy. It takes you to 
you know, it, it, all it was was commandments and, uh, you know, that they received these commandments at Sinai and, uh, or it's, it's for the Jewish people, you know, those kinds of things. Your mind really doesn't get an opportunity to get to the point where it is actually prophecy. Right, right. And this is one of the, the interesting things if you then look at the story of the nation of Israel receiving the Torah is that God brings them to Mount Sinai and makes all the entire nation of Israel, all of them, prophets, and prophesies to all of them simultaneously. Because if you look at the story, they're all standing in front of, of Mount Sinai, and Moses says, "Make sure you cleanse yourselves and come out to the to the uh, you know come here in the morning." Right. And so they all show up, and they all immediately hear the voice of God speaking to them. Right. So at that moment, the entire nation of Israel, six million people, are prophesying all at the same time with the exact same prophecy. They're receiving a direct communication from God. Wow. Now, and of course, as we know, they all basically fell on their knees and were like, Oh, this is too much for us. We can't take it. Uh, yeah, Moses, I was just going to say. Moses, you go up there or else we'll die. Yeah, they were all Which terrified. Right. Exactly. Al- almost as if he he prophesied so loudly that it scared them. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. uh, or may quite possibly for the first time in their physical lives, they never had anything like that happen. Right, um, right. So that may have been it as well. But it's just interesting how the whole nation, everybody that was there, became a, a prophet simultaneously, hearing the same thing simultaneously. And all, I mean, what what do they say? Uh, all in one loud voice, we will do and we will hear. That's, right. That's pretty incredible. It's what they all witnessed together on Mount Sinai. Excellent. Or at Mount Sinai, yeah. And then Moses goes up, obviously, and he receives the entire revelation of the Torah and brings that back down as a prophecy for the people. Right. So where does this then take us as far as, well, I guess you know, one of the, these questions might be, why should we listen to a prophet? Why did everybody listen to Moses? Well, that's a good point. There is a, we know from the from the uh, Jewish tradition that there is a, there's basically an obligation, there's a commandment in the Torah itself um, to listen to the words of a prophet that God has sent to us. And obviously this commandment, or we learn that this commandment actually precedes the Torah itself, going all the way back to Adam, through Noah, through Avraham, up to Moshe. This is not something that was that was newly created at Mount Sinai, but this is a an idea that and a, a command, I guess, that existed beforehand, and because God had been communicating via prophecy to humanity all this time, He had received, you know, Adam had received certain commandments, Noah had received an additional commandment. Um, we know of, for example, Job or Eov, who uh, prophesied. He spoke directly to God in a vision at the end of uh, at the end of the book of Job. So here's another Noahide who was prophesying. We see examples of, for example, Avraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob, who at the time that they lived were following the seven commandments. Right. So they were essentially Noahides, right. as I'm sure you've discussed on here before. They were, of course, prophets. So all of these people were prophets. So the idea that, that we have to listen to a prophet precedes Mount Sinai. And when Moshe showed up, they didn't just go, oh, well, here's some dude. Well, actually, let me step back a minute. <laughs> Are you sure they didn't do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably did. But, um, 
Let me step back. and Let's talk about the way people usually think of how prophecy works. Well, I can see where these types of questions, I mean, it's hard to put them into any kind of order. Because right, that's the it, thing, because they're all so interconnected in a lot right. of ways. Right. So prof, prof, you know, possibly at this point, uh, we should maybe allow ourselves to be prophets and <laughs> let Hashem <laughs> tell us where this should go. Um, well, let, let me... Let me ask this. How does prophecy help us as individuals and possibly as humanity uh, complete the work of creation and, and, and basically live by Torah? How, how does prophecy help us? Does it uh, uh, point out areas where we're falling off the, the rail, where we're off the path of Hashem? Um, how, how does prophecy help us in, in completing what he has us uh, here in creation for as ma- mankind and then also as individuals. Well, okay, if you think about it, if we were just placed here on earth and just allowed to go about our business, we would make a complete mess of things, obviously. Oh, we, we, have have no up, we haven't up to now? <laughs> well, we, we may have even made an even worse mess. Yeah, I don't even want to know what it would have been like if it, right, if it was right. worse. But, like, if you go out onto the street and you talk to people, most people are trying to do the right thing, right? Right. But the problem is everyone defines what the right thing is completely differently. If it's based on our own subjective, what feels right to me, everyone comes up with different ideas. Everyone, uh, you know, one person will say, well, it's fine to steal things from a store because it's a big corporation and, you know, they'll never notice and they don't really need this stuff. Another person will say, well, you know, I really like killing people. It's fun. It makes me right. feel good. Right. Um, so we'll all come up with completely different, I mean, God forbid, these are horrible things, but we'll all come up with completely different sets of moral values, different sets of ideas as to what is right and wrong. Okay, so and what you're, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying the Torah is basically the measurement by which we define what is good and what is bad. What is moral, what is not moral, what's ethical, what's not ethical. Exactly. And this being the ultimate prophetic revelation to humanity, God basically helps us define what is right and what is wrong. And based on this, if we follow these, if we basically keep away from doing the wrong thing and we stick to the, the correct path, we will achieve the goal that he has set out for us within creation. And we will achieve our purpose in this world, that's, and that's that's the main way that prophecy assists us. Okay, so it basically, like in the examples of uh, uh, Isaiah, I remember in one part I can't I can't give the the chapter and verse at the moment, but where he was uh, telling the people about the sacrifices to pretty much stop even bringing the sacrifices because your heart's not into it. You know, all you're doing right. is all you're doing is killing animals. So here we here we see. Uh, uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac, Isaiah, uh, telling the people from Hashem, he was the vehicle by which he told his people, "Hey, you're messing up, folks. Time to get, time to bring you back in and put you on the path again. Pull them back the reins." And Isaiah was the one who shared this with him in rather stern fashion. Right? Exactly. This was a point where they, the people at that time, were falling away. And they were doing things incorrectly. And so Hashem sent a message to Isaiah to share with them, telling them how to come back to the proper path. Okay. 
All right, so we can see uh, quite clearly from that, and probably so many examples that make our heads hurt, uh, but we see where the prophecies are almost like uh, uh, Hashem's paramedics for mankind. <laughs> you know, just, exactly. Uh, hey, go in and help fix these people. So that's, uh, and it's probably very good that he's willing to do that. You know, I would have to say that that is a, uh, would indeed be an act of, of mercy, an act of kindness on the part of Hashem, uh, that he's willing to do that for us because, by gosh, uh, if he didn't, uh, who knows where we would be. Uh, now I know that a lot of folks believe that it's only the, the Jewish people who were prophets. But like you mentioned earlier, there were a number of Noahides who were prophets as well. Uh, sadly, a lot of the big teaching when we talk about, you know, who's a prophet, who wasn't, uh, when it comes to Gentiles, the, the big prophet is Bilaam, who, of course, was not a very good guy. <laughs> but we often see from your examples that there were many Noahides who were good guys who were also prophets. And many of the prophecies that we have recorded, too, are for non-Jews. For example, the entire book of Jonah, the whole prophecy that's being delivered in that book was for the city of Nineveh, which was full of non-Jews. Right. So God was basically sending them a prophetic message saying, please get back on track. We also have, if you look at the book of Isaiah, um, a large portion of the book of Isaiah is devoted to prophecies talking to various nations of the world, not dealing at all with the nation of Israel per se. And to me, that just is a further indication that the uh, Torah and, and the Nakh or Tanakh uh, is for all of mankind. Sadly, it's it's mostly read as if it's for the Jewish people. And by the way, if you wanted to do it, you could too as a Gentile. Uh, <laughs> when in reality, when you really read it and study it out, you're you're exactly right. I mean, this is for all of mankind. Why? Because, hmm, interestingly enough, all of mankind was created by Hashem. So there must be a, a purpose for us, even if it's a dual purpose. You know, one, one side uh, of this destiny falls to the Jewish people, and another side of this destiny falls to the Gentile people. And, and I've always believed that, and I always think that uh, we, we need to be working together, uh, walking down this path, even though both of our roles are different, but we're kind of like hand in hand walking towards the 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 goal, walking towards the manifestation of of Hashem's purpose of creation. And Indeed. apparently, without me even realizing it, prophecy and prophets play a mighty big role in all of this. So, of course, I've asked a lot of questions this half, and unfortunately, we we have run out of time, and we're going to have to bring this first half to a close, and certainly when we come back, I'm going to have a number of other questions. So, hopefully, everybody's going to stick around with us for the second half of our uh, No Hide Nation show here today, and uh, folks, we're going to step out for a quick break, so uh, in the meantime, hang in there. We'll be right back. Purim is a celebration of the story of Esther, who, along with Mordechai, saved the Jewish people from the wicked Haman in the time of the Persian Empire. Purim is celebrated with the reading of the Megillah, or scroll, of Esther, giving gifts of food to friends and neighbors and giving charity to the poor. Children, and sometimes adults, dress up in costume. This year, Purim begins on the evening of March 19th, the Thursday preceding Purim, 
is the Fastivester from sunup to sundown. Israel National Radio wishes all of its listeners a happy and meaningful Purim. Shalom and welcome back, folks. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of our Noahide Nation show here. It's a, a pretty cool show. I mean, I'm really enjoying the heck out of this. And I, I thought, you know, maybe, Jacob, I might do a little bit of housekeeping first because you kind of brought it back to mind about you know, Abraham, uh, Jacob, Isaac, Noah, uh, that these were all prophets. And at the time that they were living, they were keeping the Noahide laws. So I thought just real quickly to start this segment off, for the folks who may be joining us for the first time is, you know, what in the heck are the Noahide laws? I'll just run through the seven categories very quickly. From these seven categories, depending on who you're studying under, uh, they evolve into uh, 66 or 70 laws. And then from there, they literally expand into thousands of applications. But the seven categories are uh, not to commit idolatry, not to commit murder, not to commit theft, not to commit blasphemy, not to commit sexual transgressions, uh, not to eat the limb of a living animal, and also to set up the courts of justice. Now, I kind of reversed those last two. It should actually be set up courts of justice and then followed by don't eat the limb of a living animal because that is the seventh one that he actually gave to Noah. Nonetheless, all are equally as important, and we should be following them because Hashem told us to follow them, not because they sound good. So anyway, I wanted to go ahead and cover that real quickly so that, you know, for those who might be new with us and a little unfamiliar with uh, what a Noahide is, what the Noahide commandments are, that'll give you at least a, an initial idea. But we're going to head back to prophecy. And this is just one of the coolest subjects that I, I didn't know it was one of the coolest subjects until just today. So let's get back into this. And one, you know, I've got a, a question now. I mean, before we left, uh, you were talking about Noah and Abraham and, you know, the, what were then prophets of the time. Is there any prophets today? Is there anyone that we can look to today as, as a prophet? Do we as individuals, uh, I know that f- from praying, you already told us it's, you know, like kind of like the lowest rung in the ladder of prophecy, but not really what I would consider prophecy enough to help mankind kind of prophecy. So I'm curious if, if at, at this point, are there, is there any prophets? Are they prophesying? Uh, yes or no? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's kind of two questions. The, uh, the question, are there any prophets today? Official prophets? The uh, answer to that would be no. Okay. Are, why? Why not? Um, well, there's a, a specific ste- a specific set of steps you have to go through to be officially declared a prophet, and for people then to be obligated to have to listen to what you say as a prophet. However, at the same time, m- might people be receiving prophecy today? Certainly, they might. So these are these are sort of two different okay. questions. Um, and uh, let's go back and kind of look at sort of the idea 
of what a prophet is exactly. Because I think a lot of people have ideas in their minds of how, like, what exactly a prophet is that are sort of different than the way the Torah lays it out. Most people, and I know, I thought this too before I studied this, uh, this information, kind of think of a prophet as um, basically you just have some random dude walking down the street and uh, all of a sudden, zap! A bolt out of the blue hits him and he just starts, you know, his eyes glaze over and he begins speaking in this otherworldly voice and he hops up on a soapbox and, and says, all of you must repent. <laughs> and, you know, like in the movies where you see something like that happen. Yeah, I was just going to say, that only happens in Hollywood. <laughs> exactly, where he's sort of some guy who's sort of possessed of the Holy Spirit <laughs> and begins speaking in a voice right. of God. This is what people usually think of when they think of a prophet or mm -hmm. prophecy. And that's, that's very, very different than the Jewish concept of this. The Jewish concept of this is that a prophet must be someone who has achieved extremely high levels of righteousness. So it's an extremely righteous person who obeys the entire Torah. And not just, not only that, but he goes beyond the basic requirements of the Torah, and he is an extremely pious individual, meaning he goes above and beyond the measure of the law. And this has to be well known that, that this person meets that requirement to begin with. Secondly, when a person receives prophecy, they're not like possessed and they begin... So, well, first of all, it's not just some random guy walking down the street. This is a, a extremely pious and righteous individual to begin with. Secondly, generally, it's someone who has received the prophetic tradition um, the tradition of how exactly to to receive prophecy and how to basically the idea of how exactly to how one receives prophecy it it doesn't just strike you out of the blue as you're walking down the street generally it's something that um, we see for example in Jeremiah and various books of the prophets it talks about the prophets sitting down to prophesy hmm and it, it becomes a verb. So they're actually doing something specific. And we learn from the oral tradition that basically there are certain methods and techniques that one uses to go into sort of a trance-like state. Um, basically, it's a, it's a type of like, they call it prophetic meditation or something along those lines. It's not necessarily like you would think of meditation in a, uh, you know, an Eastern meditation type sense. And it, it, it involves sometimes there's musicians involved and various other things. So there, But there's a, a specific set of techniques that have been passed down in the oral tradition as to how one actually goes into the prophetic state and receives prophecy. So And these arts are basically, have been passed down from master to student. It's not something you could go find a book and read how to do that. Okay, well this, um, this helps to explain, and uh, at least a, a little bit anyway, uh, and answer the question why we all aren't prophets. <laughs> uh, because obviously yes, if true. we were all <laughs> pious and all righteous, as you describe that a prophet has to be, we wouldn't live in the worldly conditions that we currently live in. So, right. If we were all, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I think we'd be in the messianic era. <laughs> yeah, we could all be prophesying to each other and, you know, uh, that would be a wonderful thing. May it happen in our time. Uh, but that does help explain why we're not prophets and, you know, what possibly we might want to aspire to with our, our studying, to be able to become more and more and more righteous, closer to Hashem, and be able to hear His Word 
and you know, you just have to be willing to, right, I guess, right. make the sacrifice, as as it were. So that's great. You you really helped out in that. And the prophetic arts. I was a little. Is that what they call uh, Kabbalah? Is that kind of what Kabbalah is? The sort of. It's a it's a uh, part of the school, I guess, of mystical thought. Okay. Is uh, the whole how to receive prophecy and uh, that information. Okay. Yeah. And at one time in uh, Israel, there actually were academies of prophets where you could go and learn this information. Really? Um, huh. Yeah. And at, uh, I guess at the height of these academies, there were literally thousands and thousands of prophets within Israel at any one time. And obviously not all of these prophets would ever even receive a prophecy necessarily. Um, but that wasn't entirely the point because going through this training and actually uh, – doing all of this gave you the ability to sort of perfect your mind and to perfect your your character traits within yourself because that was part of the training itself so the training to become a prophet was useful in and of itself even if you never even received a prophecy hmm. what happens at the end of this training i mean i'm sitting here thinking gosh you know this is the kind of you don't find this in the yellow pages or on the internet. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe there is. I, you know, I haven't really looked, but uh, you know, I don't recall even by mistake running into something like this. What happens at the end of the training? Uh, obviously, it must be like a pass/fail type of thing, where either you can or can't prophesy. What happens? Uh, at, at that point, do they do the ones who can prophesy? Uh, do they fall into a, a like a, again a group of prophets or something? Well, one of two things would happen basically. You have um, basically there are there are criteria to determine who exactly are is a prophet. So if someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I've received a prophecy," and there's a couple of things you can even do today. If someone today comes to you and says, "Hey, I just received a prophecy," first of all, say. Does this person scrupulously observe the entire Torah, and are they pious? Like very, a very extremely pious person? And if they don't observe the entire Torah, then you can just immediately say, well, uh, whatever this person is saying, they're not a prophet. I don't really have to listen to them. Um, that's an important point to point out. Hmm. But when someone would go through this training, at the end of the training, one of two things can basically happen. Either another prophet can declare... You are a prophet now. Someone who is already known to be a prophet can simply declare you a prophet. Uh -huh. For example, that's how Elisha um, became a prophet. Um, or alternatively, you can go before the Sanhedrin and say, hey, I've received a prophecy. And they have a specific set of tests that they will actually put you through that the oral tradition lays out. And they basically you have to then give certain prophecies and they have to, to um, come true exactly as you said that they will, down to the mi most minute detail. And they run you through these tests a number of different times and if they all come true, then they declare this person is a prophet. Okay, so earlier you mentioned the word officially a prophet. I'm assuming right. then by virtue of a prophet telling you that you are a prophet that would be considered officially and the Sanhedrin would be considered officially or is right. is it just the Sanhedrin that would make it official I mean I, I don't know, even know how that works but I remember you saying officially and I had in mind okay officially a prophet how did you get there 
<laughs> you know, like right. a rabbi is officially a rabbi <laughs> by virtue of receiving a smika from his rabbi. So Exactly. It, it basically works like that. So you can receive the smicha essentially directly from another prophet okay. or from Hashem by the Sanhedrin testing you and Hashem giving you the prophecies. So okay. Kind of Hashem has given you smicha. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I wonder And at that point this person um, basically it becomes publicized, this person is a Navi. They are a prophet. And we are supposed to listen to his if he comes and gives us prophecies, we are supposed to listen to him at that point. Okay, I'm just curious, during this training, are they, the ones who are actually prophets, during the training, do they actually receive prophecy during the training, or does it really not happen until after they've completed training? When do, when do they start receiving prophecy? How do they know? That's a very good question, and I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never been through that training. So well, and I certainly that. haven't, so. <laughs> no. Well, let me ask you this then. How, uh, well... Can it, can a, a true prophet, once they become officially a, a prophet, can they at some point become a false prophet? I mean, we've all heard back in the day about the false prophets. Um, can somebody who's been officially, categorically made a prophet, can they become a false prophet? Or They absolutely can, and that's a really good point. Okay, so, so what, is, what would a false prophet be then? Why don't we go there? Okay, well, we know that when someone's been declared a prophet, we are obligated to listen to what they say and to basically obey them if they give us a commandment to do something. Um, if they're saying, look, I'm prophesying and here's a commandment, you have to do it, then we have to do what they say. And this is, this is a pretty broad discretionary um, thing that Hashem has given um, because, well, let's talk about, I guess, what information the well, no, let's just go and we'll directly answer your question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so when a prophet actually gives prophecy, they can obviously talk about the future, things that may come to pass. And if they... Well, one thing to keep in mind, if a prophet... There's two types of prophecy. There's what's called positive... Or two types of prophecy, I guess, about the future, I should say. There are uh, positive prophecies and negative prophecies. Positive prophecies are things such as, you know, a good thing is going to happen. For example, the messianic era is going to happen. Okay. That's a good prophecy. Okay. A good prophecy will always come true, no matter what, period. Okay. It's not conditional. Okay. This is simply going to happen, period, end of story. If a prophet starts giving good prophecies that don't come to pass then we know he's not a pro true prophet anymore. Okay. However, there's also negative prophecies. For example, um, a really good example of this is Jonah. He goes to Nineveh, to Nineveh, and he, he goes to the middle of the city and he gives this prophecy, which is that in three days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he leaves. That's his whole prophecy right there. So what happens in three days? Nothing. So he's not destroyed. Everything goes on as normal. So is he a false prophet? Well, no. Because what we know is that negative prophecies are always conditional. Even if a condition isn't explicitly stated, it's, it's uh, implied within it. So, for example, with Jonah, he says, In three days, Nineveh will be destroyed unless you repent. 
He doesn't have to say the unless you repent part. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's there has to be a has to be a but in there somewhere in order for the negative to be turned into a positive. If if it were allowed, if Hashem allowed negative prophecy to come true all the time, uh, such as in the case of Noah, the the time of man has ended. I mean that was a negative prophecy that came true. Now, if that were allowed to continue to to happen, who knows where we where we would be? But it would also take out the possibility of tshuva, which Hashem put into play at the, at the point of creation, is the ability to return to Him, as it were, return to the the the, the derech Hashem, the path of Hashem. It's true. It's true. So, anyways, that's one way someone can become a false prophet if they start giving. Um, positive prophecies that don't come true. Another way we can know if someone's a false prophet is if they stop obeying Torah. Say, for example, we know that the, for a fact that this person is a prophet, but then we see them suddenly going around and blatantly they become a rasha, an evil person. Clearly they're not a prophet anymore and we don't have to listen to them any longer. A third way, um, so even though, so a prophet can give um, commands basically that he receives from Hashem and these commands surprisingly enough can even temporarily abrogate the Torah they can they can uh, he can command a prophet can command you basically to do something that breaks the Torah you are kidding no it's true within limits and I'll, I'll get to those limits in a moment but take for example is it uh, I believe it's Jeremiah and he comes and he's uh, basically having a debate with the prophets of Baal. And um, he says, okay, look, let's find out who the true God is, whether it's Hashem or Baal. And Shalom and welcome back, folks. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of our Noahide Nation show here. It's a, a pretty cool show. I mean, I'm really enjoying the heck out of this. And I, I thought, you know, maybe, Jacob, I might do a little bit of housekeeping first because you kind of brought it back to mind about, you know, Abraham, uh, Jacob, Isaac, Noah, uh, that these were all prophets. And at the time that they were living, they were keeping the Noahide laws. So I thought just real quickly to start this segment off, for the folks who may be joining us for the first time, is you know, what in the heck are the Noahide laws? I'll just run through the seven categories very quickly. From these seven categories, depending on who you're studying under, uh, they evolve into uh, 66 or 70 laws. And then from there, they literally expand into thousands of applications. But the seven categories are uh, not to commit idolatry, not to commit murder, not to commit theft, not to commit blasphemy, not to commit sex sexual transgressions, uh, not to eat the limb of a living animal, and also to set up the courts of justice. Now, I kind of reversed those last two. It should actually be set up courts of justice and then followed by 
don't eat the limb of a living animal, because that is the seventh one that he actually gave to Noah. Nonetheless, all are equally as important, and we should be following them because Hashem told us to follow them, not because they sound good. So anyway, I wanted to go ahead and cover that real quickly so that you know, for those who might be new with us and a little unfamiliar with uh, what a Noahide is, what the Noahide commandments are, that'll give you at least a, an initial idea. But we're going to head back to prophecy. And this is just one of the coolest subjects that I, I didn't know it was one of the coolest subjects until just today. So let's get back into this. And one, you know, I've got a, a question now. I mean, before we left, uh, you were talking about Noah and Abraham and, you know, the, what were then prophets of the time. Is there any prophets today? Is there anyone that we can look to today as, as a prophet? Do we as individuals, uh, I know that f- from praying, you already told us it's, you know, like kind of like the lowest rung in the ladder of prophecy, but not really what I would consider prophecy enough to help mankind kind of prophecy. So I'm curious if, if at, at this point, are there, is there any prophets? Are they prophesying? Uh, yes or no? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's kind of two questions. The, uh, the question, are there any prophets today? Official prophets? The uh, answer to that would be no. Okay. Not. Why? Why not? Um, well, there's a, a specific ste- a specific set of steps you have to go through to be officially declared a prophet, and for people then to be obligated to have to listen to what you say as a prophet. However, at the same time, m- might people be receiving prophecy today? Certainly, they might. So these are these are sort of two different okay. questions. Um, and uh, let's go back and kind of look at sort of the idea of what a prophet is exactly. Because I think a lot of people have ideas in their minds of how, like, what exactly a prophet is that are sort of different than the way the Torah lays it out. Most people, and I know I thought this too before I studied this, uh, this information, kind of think of a prophet as um, basically you just have some random dude walking down the street and uh, all of a sudden, zap! A bolt out of the blue hits him, and he just starts, you know, his eyes glaze over, and he begins speaking in this otherworldly voice, and he hops up on a soapbox and, and says, All of you must repent. <laughs> and, you know, like in the movies where you see something like that happen. Yeah, I was just going to say, that only happens in Hollywood. <laughs> exactly, where he's sort of some guy who's sort of possessed of the Holy Spirit and begins speaking in a voice right. of God. This is what people usually think of when they think of a prophet or mm-hmm. prophecy. And that's that's very, very different than the Jewish concept of this. The Jewish concept of this is that a prophet must be someone who has achieved extremely high levels of righteousness. So it's an extremely righteous person who obeys the entire Torah. And not just, not only that, but he goes beyond the basic requirements of the Torah, and he is an extremely pious individual meaning he goes above and beyond the measure of the law. And this has to be well known that that this person meets that requirement to begin with. Secondly, when a person receives prophecy, they're not like possessed and they begin... So, well, first of all, it's not just some random guy walking down the street. This is a, a extremely pious and righteous individual to begin with. Secondly, generally, it's someone who has received the prophetic tradition 
um, the tradition of how exactly to to receive prophecy and how to basically the idea of how exactly to rec- how one receives prophecy it, it doesn't just strike you out of the blue as you're walking down the street generally it's something that um, we see for example in Jeremiah and various books of the prophets it talks about the prophets sitting down to prophesy hmm. and it, it becomes a verb so they're actually doing something specific and we learn from the oral tradition that basically there are certain methods and techniques that one uses to go into sort of a trance-like state. Um, basically, it's a it's a type of like they call it prophetic meditation or something along those lines. It's not necessarily like you would think of meditation in a uh, you know an Eastern meditation type sense. And it, it it involves sometimes there's musicians involved and various other things. So there but there's a a specific set of techniques that have been passed down in the oral tradition as to how one actually goes into the prophetic state and receives prophecy. So, and these arts are basically, have been passed down from master to student. It's not something you could go find a book and read how to do that. Okay, well this um, this helps to explain, in, uh, at least a, a little bit anyway, uh, and answer the question why we all aren't prophets. <laughs> Uh, because obviously yes, if true. we were all <laughs> pious and all righteous, as you describe that a prophet has to be, we wouldn't live in the worldly conditions that we currently live in. So, right. If we were all, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I think we'd be in the messianic era. <laughs> yeah, we could all be prophesying to each other, and you know, uh, that would be a wonderful thing. May it happen in our time. Uh, but that does help explain why we're not prophets and, you know, what possibly we might want to aspire to with our, our studying, to be able to become more and more and more righteous, closer to Hashem, and be able to hear His Word. And, you know, you just have to be willing to, right, I guess, right. make the sacrifice, as, as it were. So that's great. You, you really helped out in that. And the prophetic arts, I was a little... Is that what they call uh, uh, Kabbalah? Is that kind of what Kabbalah is? The sort of. It's a it's a uh, part of the school, I guess, of mystical thought. Okay. Is uh, the whole how to receive prophecy and uh, that information. Okay. Yeah. And at one time in uh, Israel, there actually were academies of prophets where you could go and learn this information. Really. Um, huh. Yeah. And at uh, I guess at the height of these academies, there were literally thousands and thousands of prophets within Israel at any one time. And obviously not all of these prophets would ever even receive a prophecy necessarily. Um, But that wasn't entirely the point, because going through this training and actually uh, doing all of this gave you the ability to sort of perfect your mind and to perfect your, your character traits within yourself, because that was part of the training itself. So the training to become a prophet was useful in and of itself, even if you never even received a prophecy. Hmm. What happens at the end of this training? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, you know, this is the kind of, you don't find this in the yellow pages or on the Internet. <laughs> if, uh, maybe maybe there is. I, you know, I haven't really looked, but, uh, you know, I don't recall even by mistake running into something like this. What happens at the end of the training? Uh, obviously, it must be like a pass-fail type of thing where either you can or can't prophesy. What happens uh, at, at that point? Do they, the, the ones who can prophesy, uh, do they fall into, a, a like a, again, a group of prophets or something? 
Well, one of two things would happen, basically. You have, um, basically, there are there are criteria to determine who exactly are is a prophet. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, I've received a prophecy. And there's a couple of things you can even do today. If someone today comes to you and says, hey, I just received a prophecy. First of all, say, does this person scrupulously observe the entire Torah? And are they pious? Like very, a very extremely pious person? And if they don't observe the entire Torah, then you can just immediately say, well, uh, whatever this person is saying, they're not a prophet. I don't really have to listen to them. Um, that's an important point to point hmm. out. But when someone would go through this training, at the end of the training, one of two things can basically happen. Either another prophet can declare, you are a prophet now. Someone who is already known to be a prophet can simply declare you a prophet. Uh -huh. For example, that's how Elisha... Um, became a prophet um, or alternatively you can go before the Sanhedrin and say hey I've received a prophecy and they have a specific set of tests that they will actually put you through that the oral tradition lays out and they basically you have to then give certain prophecies and they have to to um, come true exactly as you said that they will, down to the mi most minute detail. And they run you through these tests a number of different times, and if they all come true, then they declare this person is a prophet. Okay, so earlier you mentioned the word officially a prophet. I'm assuming right. then by virtue of a prophet t telling you that you are a prophet, that would be considered officially, and the Sanhedrin would be considered officially, or is right. is it just the Sanhedrin that would make it official? I mean, I, I don't know, even know how that works, but I remember you saying officially, and I had in mind, okay, officially a prophet. How do you get there? <laughs> you know, like right. a rabbi is officially a <laughs> rabbi by virtue of receiving a shmika from his rabbi. So exactly, it, it basically works like that. So you can receive the shmika essentially directly from another prophet, okay, or from Hashem by the Sanhedrin testing you and Hashem giving you the prophecies. Okay. So, kind of Hashem has given you smicha. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I wonder And at that point this person um, basically it becomes publicized this person is a navi. They are a prophet. And we are supposed to listen to his if he comes and gives us prophecies we are supposed to listen to him at that point. Okay. I'm just curious during this training are they the ones who are actually prophets during the training do they actually receive prophecy during the training or does it really not happen until after they've completed training I mean, when did when do they start receiving prophecy how do they know that's a very good question and i have no idea <laughs> okay <laughs> i've never been through that training so well and i certainly know. haven't so <laughs> well let me ask you this then how uh, well can, it, can a, a true prophet, once they become officially a, a prophet, can they at some point become a false prophet? I mean, we've all heard back in the day about the false prophets. Um, can somebody who's been officially, categorically made a prophet, can they become a false prophet? Or They absolutely can, and that's a really good point. Okay, so, so what, is, what would a false prophet be then? Why don't we go there? Okay, well, we know that when someone's been declared a prophet, we are obligated to listen to what they say and to basically obey them if they give us a commandment to do something. Um, if they're saying, look, I'm prophesying and here's a commandment, you have to do it, then we have to do what they say. 
and this is this is a pretty broad discretionary um, thing that Hashem has given um, because well let's talk about I guess what information the well no let's just go and we'll directly answer your question okay <laughs> sorry um, so when a prophet actually gives prophecy they can obviously talk about the future things that may come to pass and if they well one thing to keep in mind if a prophet there's two types of prophecy there's what's called positive or two types of prophecy I guess about the future I should say there are uh, positive prophecies and negative prophecies positive prophecies are things such as you know a good thing is going to happen for example the messianic era is going to happen okay that's a good prophecy okay a good prophecy will always come true no matter what period oh. it's not conditional okay this is simply going to happen period end of story if a prophet starts giving good prophecies that don't come to pass then we know he's not a prop, true prophet anymore okay however there's also negative prophecies for example um, a really good example of this is Jonah he goes to Nineveh to Nineveh and he, he goes to the middle of the city and he gives this prophecy which is that in three days Nineveh will be destroyed and then he leaves that's his whole prophecy right there so what happens in three days nothing so he's not destroyed everything goes on as normal so is he a false prophet well no because what we know is that negative prophecies are always conditional even if a condition isn't explicitly stated it's it's uh, implied within it so for example with Jonah he says in three days Nineveh will be destroyed unless you repent he doesn't have to say the unless you repent part yeah, I was going to say there's there's there has to be a has to be a but in there somewhere in order for the negative to be turned into a positive if if it were allowed if Hashem allowed negative prophecy to come true all the time uh, such as in the case of Noah the the time of man has ended I mean that was a negative prophecy that came true now if that were allowed to continue to to happen who knows where we where we would be but it would also take out the possibility of tshuva which Hashem put into play at the, at the point of creation is the ability to return to him as it were return to the the the, the derech Hashem the path of Hashem it's true it's true so anyways that's one way someone can become a false prophet if they start giving um, positive prophecies that don't come true another way we can know if someone's a false prophet is if they stop obeying Torah say for example we know that the, for a fact that this person is a prophet but then we see them suddenly going around and blatantly they become a rasha an evil person clearly they're not a prophet anymore and we don't have to listen to them any longer a third way um so even though so a prophet can give um, commands basically that he receives from Hashem and these commands surprisingly enough can even temporarily abrogate the Torah they can they can uh, he can a prophet can command you basically to do something that breaks the Torah you are kidding no it's true within limits and I'll I'll get to those limits in a moment but take for example is it Oh, I believe it's Jeremiah 
And he comes and he's uh, basically having a debate with the prophets of Baal. And um, he says, okay, look, let's find out who the true God is, whether it's Hashem or Baal. And Hashem tells him, okay, set up an altar for yourself and have them set up one for Baal. And the two of you make a sacrifice on it. And the heavenly fire will descend and completely consume your sacrifice. Right, right. right. Well, think about this. It's forbidden at this time to make a sacrifice anywhere except the temple. Right. Okay, I'm with you. Furthermore, Jeremiah is not a Kohen. I'm with you. So what he does is is forbidden by the Torah. Okay. But Hashem tells him, you can do it this once. So we learn from the oral tradition that a prophet can come and temporarily negate or change one of the, the commands of the Torah for a set time period. Um, however, if a prophet ever comes and says this commandment of the Torah is permanently changed or is done away with or this commandment needs to be added to the Torah after Mount Sinai anyways then he is, he is automatically a false prophet because Hashem says I will never change this Torah so a prophet cannot change the Torah because it's eternal although he can he can temporarily um give an exception to it for a, a temporary period of time. Okay, that's interesting. However, there's there's one exception to that even, Okay, which God tells us, which is that if a prophet ever comes and says, temporarily, I want you to worship this false god, <laughs> then you know for certain that he is a false prophet and that you should not listen to anything he says, because God will never tell us to commit idolatry, even temporarily. Because God is a jealous God who does not, uh, uh, no other God, there are no other gods by me, basically, or in my face, in front of me. So these are, I guess, the limits hmm. of prophecy that, uh, that, that, or what a prophet can do. So a prophet has can do a lot of things if he's given the prophecy, but there are limits even to what, what we are required to obey from a prophet. So in order to do that, then you must, you have to know Torah. You, yeah, it's true. you have to know what Torah allows and what it doesn't allow and then do an examination of what the prophet is telling you as to whether it, it is something that might be permissible or definitely not permissible. So we, as individuals not being the prophet, uh, need to be on our toes at least. It's true. We shouldn't just swallow anything anyone says to us. This is a prophecy. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. I think uh, we're probably going to need to come back and you know do an, a whole other show to you know, try and get some more out of you on this whole prophecy thing because <laughs> I'm kind of curious and I know that we don't have time for this uh, at, at the moment. But you know I have you know questions like you know they talk about the the uh, Mashiach and the false prophet and you know uh, in the messianic era all of all of this and maybe you can help us digest some of that and sort it out uh, i'm also you know kind of curious too about billam you know was billam considered a, a a good prophet and if so was it only part of the time was he considered an evil prophet and if so only part of the time uh because at it points it seems like he's going you know back and forth back and forth back and forth he wants to condemn israel but he doesn't condemn Israel, but he tries trickery in order to get him to condemn themselves. And I mean, it's just like this, 
boy, I, I can't imagine being this guy. The, the, the internal turmoil, the internal fight that was going on with this man was just crazy to me. I don't know how you can survive something like that. So, you know, maybe you can help us, you know, hash out some of, of that also. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably more things as far as evidence of, you know, identifying the, you know, true prophet and, you know, what does it mean for us at the end of days and, you know, those types of things. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if you are in a position to be able to help us out another week and, and come back and join us and share some more on this issue of prophecy. Absolutely. I'd love to come back and talk more about this. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is fantastic. I, I think uh, the audience uh, love this show. I think they're going to love the next show. And, you know, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this. So, folks, I hope you enjoyed this show with us. Jacob, thank you for sitting in for, for Prescott this week, and we look forward to you joining us next week. And in the meantime, folks, you all have a wonderful week. Shavua Tov. study at the Urological Clinic in the Soroka Hospital in Israel found that those taking Apuncha capsules experienced significant relief from bladder or urinary problems. Don't just suffer. Contact the Priso Company for natural herbal remedies made from the Apuncha flower grown right here in Israel. Visit their website at www.priso.com. www.priso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O.com.